What we have seen thus far is that <clears throat> Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. He is the divine promised King. So let's begin reading Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. And when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned by God in a dream, he left for the regions of Galilee and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. There is no one else. His origin is Davidic. He is the promised king that was spoken of by the prophets to David. He is the seed of David that will one day sit upon an earthly throne on earth in a thousand year millennial reign. He is also seated on a throne presently. He is at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. And he must reign there until he has put all enemies under his feet. We've not only seen the Davidic genesis of Jesus Christ, we have seen the Abrahamic descent of Jesus Christ. He is the promised seed of Abraham. And his purpose 
and His sole purpose at that first incarnation was to save His people from their what? From their sins. And this is what He's doing today. This is His aim and His goal. It is to deal with people from the Jews and Gentiles to deliver them by His own atoning sacrifice from the punishment and guilt of sin. There is nothing standing in the way other than our acceptance of it, of entering into the presence of God. The curtain has been rent and the way into the Holy of Holies has been made plain through the body of Jesus Christ. Having been justified, now His sole purpose is to deliver us from the effect and the power of sin. We call that sanctification. This is not just true for someone who takes the extra step. This is true from the point of being justified. God the Father, through His Son, by the Holy Spirit, through the application of His Word, is delivering us from that ill effect and power of sin in our life, so that one day, when we see Him face to face, we shall see Him as He is, for we will be like Him, ultimately delivered from the very presence of sin and death. That is salvation. And it is that salvation that happens in our life in which every circumstance, no circumstance accepted, every circumstance together is working to deliver us from the ill effect of sin into the glorious image of Christ. Every one of them. Everyone, from illnesses to weaknesses to age to educational deficiencies to struggles to conflict to that remaining sin that seems to trouble you and doesn't seem to trouble another believer but they have their own troubles. Everything is working together for our good. And brethren, that has a stability to it that brings purpose and a lack of chaos into our lives. Man thinks that everything is just happening haphazardly and chaotically. We're just at the whim of fate. Not believers. Believers are underneath the watch care of our Savior. God has set His, holy, His King upon His holy hill of Zion. It is the Lord that has declared this decree. Man has not declared the decree. Man has not brought about this decree. The Lord has declared the decree. What is the decree? You are my son. 
This day I have manifested you, or I have begotten you. And that day in which God manifested to both Jew and Gentile that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords was at the day of His resurrection. This was not only the fact that God the Father accepted His atonement in full, paid, but also was the manifestation that this was the King. He was the promised Messiah. He was the Deliverer. He is God in human flesh, seated at the right hand of the throne of the Majesty on high. He is Lord. And He is Christ. He is the King. He didn't grow up to become King. The Magi spoke accurately. He was born King. And even Pilate himself would write upon the cross of Christ, Jesus Christ, the King of who? The Jews. In that He was short. He is the promised King to Jew and Gentile. And that King is to be worshipped. He is not merely to be acknowledged. He is to be bowed down to. God has promised to Jesus Christ our Lord that to Him, Every knee will bow, either voluntarily unto salvation or involuntary to weeping and gnashing of teeth. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is to be worshipped. That will involve Love and adoration. If any man does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. It is to involve humility. Nobody is going to heaven in their pride and rage, or as one preacher said, God doesn't save rebels, He saves the humble. And it must also involve obedience and how our hearts mourn over our failure in our obedience. Even in Psalm 119, in the very last of that psalm, the writer of that psalm bemoans the fact that in spite of his heart's yearning to walk in the light of the Word of God, he says, O oh Lord, seek your servant, for I have gone astray like a sheep. We feel that in our own hearts, don't we? Even as believing people. Now brethren, if you have a Davidic king, and you have the seed of Abraham, to whom all the promises have been made, in Him every promise is yes and amen to the glory of God the Father. And if this is a king who was born king already, then that means 
that that king must have a what? He must have a kingdom. It would be foolish to speak of a king that has no kingdom. And lo and behold, in Matthew chapter 3, in the first two verses, we have the appearance, first in Matthew, of this. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is what? It's at hand. Jesus is going to preach the exact same message. The kingdom of heaven, or as it is translated and written in other synoptic gospels, the kingdom of God, one refers to the ruler of the kingdom, one refers to the realm of the kingdom. Behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We have a divine king and we have a kingdom. And folks, that kingdom and that divine king, we will have to take an excursus and take a look at this in the upcoming days. But I want you to turn to the book of Acts, the very last chapter. Acts chapter 28. Because I want us to note here the apostolic gospel. It's mentioned in the life of Christ's earthly ministry. It's mentioned in Acts chapter 1. It is scattered throughout the book of Acts. And in this last chapter, Acts chapter 28, Paul is in custody. Who has him in custody? Rome has him in custody. In other words, the Gentile nations have him in custody. He is in his own rented house and a collection of Jews come to him because they have heard about this way and they wanted to hear more about it. Now note verse 23. And when they had set a day for Paul, <clears throat> they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. Now note what Paul was preaching and teaching. He was explaining about what? The kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning who? Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Everybody see that? This was his message. He was preaching and solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God, and we could word it this way, the relationship of Jesus to that kingdom and who He was, now note verse 24. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. Now he's going to go on and give them warning. 
But what we're interested in, for our sakes, is verse 28. Paul says to those unbelieving Jews, Therefore, let it be known to you, this salvation of God, Unless Paul's there. How would they have understood that phrase? This salvation of God. Well, they would have understood it as something involving the kingdom of God and the relationship of Jesus to that kingdom, right? That's what he has been seeking to testify to them and solemnly seek to persuade them about Jesus. This salvation of God has been sent to who? Gentiles. And they will also listen. And when he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. Verse 30. And he stayed there two full years in his own rented quarters, and was welcoming who? All. That would involve Jews and who? Jews and Gentiles. Welcoming them all who came to Him. Alright, now what was He telling them? Verse 31. Preaching what? The kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, I love this, unhindered. He's in bonds. The gospel is what? Unhindered. To Jews and Gentiles. What is this salvation? Something about the kingdom of God and Jesus' relationship to that kingdom as promised through the Abrahamic and Davidic covenants that would ultimately involve not only Jews, but Gentile people. Everybody see that? Because folks, I think today in our gospel presentation, we don't bring up what aspect? The kingdom. And you'll find in the book of Acts that Paul is being rejected and persecuted by the Jews and by the Gentiles. And their accusation concerning Paul was this. He's preaching another king. Do you hear that? In other words, he's not proclaiming Caesar is Lord. He's not proclaiming America's Lord. He's not saying America's the greatest nation in the world. What is he proclaiming? Jesus is Lord. Over what? Another kingdom. And folks, it was that message that turned the world upside down. And it is the same message 
that will upend people's lives today. A proper understanding on who Jesus is, Davidic, Abrahamic descent, born king, the reason why he came to save his people from their sins, but a king has a kingdom. It is his people. How do you get to be his people? By repentance and faith in Christ. And that is what Matthew is introducing to us. Now that introduction and all that I've said to you thus far also includes another likeness. And some of you have already picked up on this. And that is when Moses came under this first covenant, we call it the Old Testament. We call it the law. Moses himself in Deuteronomy 18, listen to it carefully, says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet. Now listen very carefully. Like me. He didn't say exactly like me. He said what? Like me. There's going to be similarities between this prophet that the Lord will raise up and Moses. Moses brought the earthly nation of Israel out of the earthly nation of Exodus, of Genesis. We call that the Exodus. The prophets predicted another exodus. And that there would be a prophet like unto Moses who would lead those people out of that bondage into a liberty which we know of as in Christ. Listen again. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. From among you, he'll be a Jew. From your own countrymen, you shall listen to who? Now listen to what he says. You're going, you listen to him versus who? Me. You shall listen to him, and this is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb. Because when they saw the, the thunderings and the lightnings, they were trembling and they were afraid. <clears throat> and God spoke to them and they said, Don't let God speak directly to us. And God says, this is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore or I will die. And the Lord said to Moses, they have spoken well. 
Now, folks, what were they saying? We need an intermediary. We need a mediator between God and who? And man. And what Moses is saying is this, I'm not that man. I am only a type or a shadow of that man. But God will raise up that man. And you better listen to him. He says, I will raise up a prophet from among you like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words which he will speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So not to listen to Moses, you would die at the hands of two or three what? How much more? Hebrews says, if you will not listen to the one who came from heaven. Do you all hear the gravity of this? Folks, when we go to people, we're not giving them an option that they can deny and choose some other way. This isn't, oh, well, I don't like what Jesus says, so I'll just try to have, I'll just try to keep the Ten Commandments. No, Moses says, there's coming one like me, and you better listen to him. This is both strengthening and sobering, isn't it? Because, folks, we're living in those last days. We're not going to be in the last days. We are in the last days. Those last days began on the day of Pentecost. And we are far into those last days, approaching the last day. And we know that the Lord can come when? Any moment. There is nothing standing in the way of Him coming. Nothing. And we better listen to Him. And that ought to drive us every morning to get in our Bibles to hear His gracious words. The similarities between Moses and what we have seen thus far in the book of Matthew are so much alike, it is absolutely convincing that this is the prophet that Moses spoke of. Now I'm going to read to you an extended commentary on this. And I'm going to pause at places because I know when something you read is long, it's hard to pay attention to. 
But just listen to these similarities. Dr. Miller, in a commentary on Hebrew, wrote this, uh, on Matthew, wrote this. Because of Moses' role in rescuing and forming the nation and in giving and writing revelation, he ranks as the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. This is what is written in Deuteronomy. When God says He will raise up another prophet like Moses and adds that the people will listen to Him, Moses has established a precedence for another prophet who is like but greater than Moses. Thus Moses serves as a pattern causing later generations to expect one who significantly resembles him. Matthew's portrayal of that theme is subtle and made with allusions to Moses' life, but they are pervasive. For example, God providentially moves Joseph's young family to Egypt. Why? So Jesus can come out of Egypt in an exodus of His own. When the angel commands Joseph to return to Israel, he quotes words from Exodus. God told Moses, go to the land that I promise you for those who seek the child's life are dead. In Matthew 20, verse 20, he says to Joseph, rise up and go where? To Israel for those who seek the child's life are what? Dead. Jesus gives five major discourses in the book of Matthew just like Moses left five books of the law. And Jesus becomes the interpreter of Moses' law in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus often ascends mountains like Moses did he fasts for 40 days before he brings God's law to the people, just like Moses did. Moses brought an old covenant established with the blood of bulls and goats. Jesus brings a new covenant established in his own blood. The most explicit affirmation of the promise is in the transfiguration of Jesus when three disciples witness Jesus' glory and who shows up? Moses. The Father quotes Deuteronomy 18 verse 15 admonishing the disciples when he says listen to him And when Moses comes down from the mountain, 
what happens to his face? It shines because he was in the presence of God. Jesus' face shines because he is God. His face did not shine because the light shone to his face. It shone from within him outward. Everybody see that parallel? Thus, Jesus is the fulfillment of the foreshadowing of Moses in the New Testament. Now folks, that, that should strengthen you. The Davidic the Abrahamic, the born king, the Psalm 2, the raging of the nations against this. His liken unto Moses. His being the master interpreter of the law. You have heard that it has been said. But he didn't say, I'm going to tell you what Moses meant. He said, I say to you. Everybody hear that? He goes up and down on the mountaintops. He delivers the Sermon on the Mount on a what? On a mountain. It's after his temptation of 40 days and 40 nights. He is establishing a new people, a new covenant, a new king, one that has been born. And brethren, what we have here in Matthew chapter 2, <clears throat> verses 13 through 23, is Matthew's emphasis on more fulfilled prophetic passages that foretell all these events surrounding the Messiah and His com coming. Every one of these passages <clears throat> shows the love and care of God the Father over His Son. Every one of them. And we'll see how far we get this morning, but I hope tonight to finish out with those passages. Joseph has settled in Bethlehem. He has moved from stable to a house, Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. The Magi come into the house. They didn't go to the stable or to the manger. This happens after the taxing, as mentioned in Luke. This happens after the visit of the shepherds, as mentioned in Luke. This happens after the eight days of His circumcision, that's mentioned in Luke. This happens after Mary's purification, and Jesus' presentation to the Lord some 40 days later. This happens after the blessing of Simeon and Anna. And it happens sometime before they leave to go to Egypt and they actually come back and seek to establish in Bethlehem, but they don't ultimately go there. They end up going to a city named Nazareth. How did all this happen? 
Well, when the Magi would have visited the young child, he would have been somewhere <clears throat> between six months to two years old. We don't know the exact time. But the Magi, who were Gentiles, had been warned by God in a dream. You'll see that in verse 12, Matthew 2, and having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the, Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. They were warned not to go back because <clears throat> Herod was going to destroy the child. They were shown his true motivation. Herod did not want to come and worship. Herod wanted to rage. He took counsel against the Lord and against His who? His anointed. And folks, can we pause here? Many people will say, I've come to worship. Who at the end of the day have only come to rage. Don't be deceived by the governments of this world. Lost people's first natural response to the preaching of the gospel is rage. It's hostility. It is enmity against God. Do we understand that? The evangelical world has forgotten that. And when you have somebody whose rage turns into adoration and worship, that is the work of God. Because as we will see, whenever there is greater activity, and wherever there is the greater presence of God expressing itself on earth, there will be greater activity of the world's rage against that. And folks, we need to understand that when you're praying for revival, that's a good thing, isn't it? Don't you want revival? Don't you want a greater activity and presence of God in this life? Yes or no? But you got to understand that when that happens, the devil rages. He does not want that. And to the measure of the activity of God, through the church of God, the greater the resistance. Folks, this is spoken of throughout your whole New Testament. 
Here is our Lord. And those magi, we don't know how long they stayed there. I would imagine that they would have stayed there maybe a day, maybe overnight, maybe a couple of nights, right? But they would have left and gone back and departed to their own country. And they did not report back to Herod. Now Herod is waiting for those magi to come back. Now remember, how far is Bethlehem outside of Jerusalem? About five or so miles. He is waiting for them to come back. And so maybe three, four days, five days, maybe word gets back to him. We saw the magi departing. They've already gone. And when that happens... Herod, verse 16, is in a rage. Who knew Herod's heart motive? Who heard Herod's heart in the middle of the night? Heaven heard it. It had been foretold but heaven heard it. And Herod understand the great trickster who was trying to trick the Magi is now tricked by the Magi. And in verse 16, Herod in his rage sent Roman soldiers and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under according to the time which he demanded from the Magi. In the meantime, Joseph had been warned by God. And he had been warned by God in a dream also. And had been told... At night, in the middle of the night, verse 13, get up. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. Then he gives Joseph the reason. For Herod is going to search for the child to what? To destroy him. Now you may be interested to note the wording. You'll note in verse 13, take the child and his who? Mother. Everybody see that? Note verse 14. Joseph got up and took the child and his mother. Note verse 19. The Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Take the child and his mother. Note verse 21. Joseph got up, took the child and his who? And his mother. Everybody see that? If 
Folks, the emphasis here is on the child. That is what is the treasure. It's not the family of Joseph. Joseph, take your family. It's not even Joseph, I'm trying to protect you. Or even his mother. God is showing care and nurture for who? The child. Now the outflow of that care for the child extended to the person that is related to the child, which is who? His mother. Joseph is not directly related to that child. But his mother is. She is the one who conceived him and gave birth. The virgin conception and birth. Right? There's a relationship there between that child, the child, and his mother. But again, the point that the Scripture is making is the child. So again, we have this all right, the relationship to the child, that is the mother, and that extends also to who? Joseph, not because he has a relationship to the child, but because Joseph is, we would word it this way, the legal guardian of that home. God is the father. Amen? And God the Father is the one taking care of God the Son. But just like when the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament aboded in a home and God brought blessing to that home, so He's bringing blessing to this home because of the child. And so the child is always mentioned first. Not Mary. And they were to depart <clears throat> and flee to Egypt. Verse 13. And they were to remain there until when? Until he gets more revelation. Until <clears throat> I tell you. That is that same angel that appeared to him in a dream. Now folks, this activity of God is happening in the midst of trouble. God, now please hear this, God is directing His Son through the means of Gentile rage. If there was no Gentile rage, there would have been no reason to go where? 
to Egypt. He's going to Egypt because of Gentile rage. And folks, you can be assured that when unexpected events come into your life, that there is revelation to guide us through that. Remember, everything is working together for your good to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And in the midst of that tribulation, they're being directed to go to Egypt. And He does. He immediately gets up. And he wakes up Mary and says, let's go. And you think Mary said, can we just wait till in the morning? <laughs> what do you think? No. And that really is the ear of a disciple, isn't it? To hear the revelation of God, you're not going to get a dream, but to hear the revelation of God is written in the Bible. And to immediately what? Obey it. That's a learner follower. So there is a Gentile rage. And that rage, <clears throat> which is to be directed against the child, falls upon other children. Now folks, this is the way rage works. A person's rage against the Gospel just doesn't affect them. A husband's rage against the Gospel affects his children. It affects his spouse. It, it affects the world around him. Why? He voices his rage. And here what we have is a wrath from the Gentile ruler against the child that is poured out against all the male children two years and what? Two years and under in Bethlehem and in a measured surrounding area. There had to have been hundreds of male children that died. Could you imagine the government coming in through your front door, ladies, taking a son that you had begotten through tears and sorrow, and you watch a Roman sword pierced through that child. 
And ladies, there would have been no recourse. There would have been no court that you could have gone to to get justice. Do you think you would have asked why? Blood was shed. Wailing was heard. But folks, I want to remind you in similarity. In similarity, not exactness. But in similarity, the Egyptian king told the Jewish women to slay all the children who were males when they came out of the womb. You remember that? Do you remember the wailing that would have gone on when God struck all the firstborn of Egypt? And folks, in similar similarity, when the nation Israel came out of Egypt, it had been how many years? Somewhere around 400 years. From the last prophet of your Old Testament, Malachi, to the arrival of the incarnation of Jesus Christ was about 400 years. We call that the 400 silent years. You see the similarities. It's not exact. You can't put it chronologically. But there are similarities. There is wailing. There are voices. There is lamentation. There is weeping. Why? Why are the heathen raging? Why do the people imagine such vain things? Psalm 2 answers that, doesn't it? The answer is, is that they are rebelling against God's chosen King and His rule. And folks, that, that right there <clears throat> is the most serious defect in man. It is an expression of his sinfulness. It is an expression of his rebellion. It is an expression of his utter rejection of God. And the sad thing is, is that the Jews rejected him too, didn't they? And folks, <clears throat> time goes by. And in verses 19 and following, the angel shows up and says to Joseph in Egypt, Take this child and his mother and go into the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life are dead. And I've already mentioned the similarity <coughs> of that with what was spoken to Moses. 
Folks, every one of these passages, every one, is showing to us the loving care of God the Father. Every one. Is God caring for His Son? And God is caring for His Son in the midst of Gentile rage and Jewish rejection. And folks, if you're in Christ today, that same loving, nurturing care extends to you. How I wish, I wish we would get this under our belt and believe it. It would solve so many perplexities in our heart and life. Our lives as believers into Jesus Christ is boundaried by the Word of God. For those in Christ being saved, you are saved and you will never be lost again. God didn't lose His Son, did He? He will not lose you. He would have to lose His Son for this to happen. And Joseph obeyed. When did he get the dream? It was at night, right? That's when you dream. If it was during the day, it would have been a vision. Did he get up? Did he go back to Mary and say, Mary, I sure am glad you responded well the first time. We got to go back. And folks, when did Israel leave out of the land of Egypt? During the night. When at night? The Bible says around midnight. Joseph obeyed because he counted God's commands and words and promises more important than his feelings, more important than his discomforts, more important than his tiredness, more important about how he felt about himself or what really mattered to him in his life. What mattered to him is this. And you could put this mantra over your life. It's all about the promises. That's what it's all about. And may God be true and every man a liar. God's nurture and care for His only begotten dear Son. And by implication, his loving, nurturing care for you and for me. Let's pray.